everyone. It's Matt. And I'm Kyle. And we're the Casual Tutors. This week, we're coming back at you with some fresh, hot story time from Phyrexia March of the Machine. Kind of like our last couple of story episodes, Kyle's going to take the lead here. He's been the one doing the majority of the work on these story parts. I'm just here along for the ride to give outrageous takes and, you know, my kind of crazy off-the-cuff opinions about some of the story. Before we get started, like always, we're going to start a little bit of housekeeping. You guys have been destroying the support. We really appreciate all the likes, listens, and shares that you guys get. Sharing is the big one. Kyle and I are working trying to expand our listener base and get more listeners and followers in the end to help, you know, spread our message, so to speak. And you guys are a huge part of that, you know, sharing with friends and family wherever you can, hijacking, you know, the TVs in your gym to get Spotify up on those, you know, hacking into your work's mainframe and just forcing everybody to listen to us, whether they want to or not, stuff like that. It's all super awesome. We have some super big news. Uh, as of recording, we are super close to breaking 1,500 listens, uh, all-time listens. We're 20 away. I know I put out the call to action here a couple of days ago as of recording, and you know, you guys have answered as always. So please keep it up. Check out all our socials. We're Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Casual Tutors, and we have a semi-active TikTok and YouTube thing going. I am behind posting episodes on YouTube, but one of these days I'm going to have time and I'll catch up, I promise, for everyone that likes you know, getting our content through YouTube for some reason. But other than that, let's get this episode started. So right off the bat, Kyle, this storyline is significantly longer than we saw for Brothers War or Dominar United, right? Yeah, and Phyrexia all will be one. And all I forget that. Yeah, this is still a different set than all will be one. It feels like the same thing to me. Yeah, and and the story does I will say flow. Um I've got some complaints about that too. But um, it is much more in depth. Obviously, it's all over the place with like the the planes and everything like that. But it's just longer in general to begin with. So we have ten main parts or chapters, I guess is what they're calling them. And you know, there's always the side stories that go. There's probably a handful of those as well. What we're gonna do this episode is we're gonna talk about chapters one through five. Then we're gonna be right back at you next week with chapters six through ten to finish out the series. And we'll see if any of the side stories kind of pique our interest. We'll probably throw those in. But, you know, just make sure you guys are catching both episodes this week and next to get the full picture. And, you know, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of times for me just to screw up the lore and do some outrageous takes. And you're definitely not going to want to miss that. Kind of, I just want to give, like, some brief thoughts about the magic story in general first. Uh, Obviously, I love the lore. Uh, I believe lore is the foundation on which magic is built. Obviously, we play the game for fun and we sling cards and you know, trade cardboard, all that stuff. It's all a giant aspect of it. But in the end, it's always fun when you're sitting in your pod and commander or, you know, you're sitting between rounds and FNM, just chat about the happenings in Magic. And I think it's really kind of the foundation and the glue that keeps everything together. That being said, the 10 part, 10 main chapters plus side stories in this was kind of ridiculous. Like, I don't have time for this. Hardly anybody has time for this. You know, they need to return to different types of print, you know, whether it's books or it's included lore and things like bundles, stuff like that, that give us larger format storytelling opportunities. And I think it works fine for series like Brothers War and Dominar United, where it's just a little bit of buildup, you know, five relatively short chapters to get us into the main crescendo that happens to be March of the Machine. But 
my preference would be a book, an audiobook, something like that, where it's something that I can, one, not have to search multiple pages through Watsi's directory to find stories for, but two, just also something I can kind of absorb in leisure while I'm driving with an audiobook, stuff like that. A couple of things, too, with that is, one, I think it'd be better written as a book. And I'll go into, I'll try not to rip into this poor author too many times, but there's just a couple of parts of this that it just does not mesh well. It does not read well. The other thing too is I think that you'd really be able to just get the point across better, right? You, it would, it would feel like it's more important. And with what you said on the navigating Watsi's page, holy crap, is it not user-friendly to read the story? Unless I have a direct link, I almost never go looking for it just because it's such a pain in my ass. I can't believe there is no next chapter or or previous chapter button. You finish the chapter and and maybe I'm just dumb. I I looked at it on both my phone and my computer, but I was having to go back up to the top, click story, go back down, hit chapter two, go back to the top, hit story, go back down, hit chapter three. Yeah, that's wild. And, you know, kind of going back to the story, like, I do agree if there was one author to tell this entire arc of March of the Machine and, you know, we kind of get this jumping around, you know, kind of like Song of Fire and Ice where, you know, each chapter is a different character's perspective. Something like that would be super cool. Uh, something that Warhammer does really well is they release what they call omnibuses. And sometimes it's a compilation of entire series of novels. But most of the time, it's just, short stories that are you know obviously along the same story arc or have some general uh, similar theme and they compile it into one book and they publish it like just a series of short stories wild concept what Anyways, i will say is the at least for the main story that i've read so far it is all written by the same person oh is it yeah okay which so. is not <laughs> not a good thing in my opinion but yeah, we'll, we'll get some hot takes probably more so after we review chapter 10 and we get through, you know, this entirety of the story. But yeah, I'm looking at Kyle's notes right now. There's definitely like a, a bunch of like, this is shit. This is lousy. Why would you write this? And it, it's kind of funny to me, like just looking from the outside in, but heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah. And so that's what I'll start with. I'm just going to start with the fact that a lot of these chapters, in fact, I think the first three for sure off the top of my head, they start with short one sentence, like, quips i guess and it's it's just a really poor writing style uh and i just it just didn't resonate with me you know maybe it does resonate with other people out there but like the first sentence in the entire story is it is good to be phyrexian it is good to be elish norn which one sounds ridiculous (laughs) like it, it does sound very elish norn to refer to herself in third person but it also sounds like this is a sophomore in high school writing a freaking short story for their English class. I It's funny you say that because I, I literally put like three chapters down. I put a note on uh, that, that the universe is just a bunch of teenagers. Fact. We see it with their romance arcs. Yeah, it, it's, it's, I just, it's bad. And one of the other things is like the, the, the Phyrexians don't make any sense to me and we'll get into that. But I do want to start with some kind of funny like starting to kind of funniness without too much complaining. Cause there are some like funny parts in this first chapter here. One right out the gate. Uh, the only thing I guess Luca does, which they say he does with a Johnny, which doesn't make any sense to me because this is literally, I mean, Kaido Kaya and 
uh, Kaido, Kaya, and Tyvar are still right in front of Elishnorn. So this is immediately after the events of All Will Be One. And yet somehow, Johnny finishes his fight with Elspeth, then runs off with Luca, and captures and defeats Shieldred. Fuck that bitch. That's why. I just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, the timeline doesn't match up at all. Also, Shieldred, I think it's funny that she dies in, like, the very first paragraph. Like, there's no, like, nothing. Yeah, why develop any kind of character for one of the biggest villains in Magic's history? Yeah, it's crazy. I And I, she's, now, I mean, obviously, spoilers, duh. But she's not the only Praetor to die in this storyline. <laughs> they all do. I was going to say, yeah, I don't think that's much of a spoiler anymore. They, they don't make it, guys. Yeah, she is the first to die, and by Chapter 5, she's still the only one dead. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. Uh, another, another spoiler alert is, what's his name? Uh, Urbras getting dismantled somewhere in Chapters 1 through 5? No, no, in fact, he is detrimental to helping what their plan after this, Plan B, I guess. Uh, super interesting because they spoiled that card super early. <laughs> yeah, so he's still fine. Although we'll get to there, he might not be exactly fine, but they don't. He's definitely not been shown on. He's he's on screen, alive and well, and doing things, and then things get all fucked up. But we'll talk about that. Sure. What else happens in chapter one? The way that Shieldred and Elish Norn speak to each other is kind of weird because I always imagine this this hive mind crave for unity. And there's very much this different personalities, which I don't know if it's just a, you know, if we made Phyrexians the way Phyrexians are really supposed to be, would that make for good storytelling? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of weird because it's definitely there's this disconnect between previous Phyrexian lore, like pre-mending all the issues with Dominaria, Ice Age, all that stuff, and what we're seeing now. And obviously part of that's coming with fleshing out Phyrexia more, having, you know, it itself have a larger personality, but there is kind of the, the disconnect between the, the one for all thing that supposedly was happening. Yeah. It's very strange that they, they spat on about the unity, the one for all there's the thing with the glistening oil and it being kind of like a, an ancestral bond kind of thing. Like they're all connected, but then a ton of the Phyrexians just do whatever they want and have, like I Urbresk is a great example. Um, and a lot of them say, you know, oh, it's it's with the unity in mind. So maybe it's maybe it's not quite a hive mind. Maybe it's a they all crave for unity under Phyrexia and how they approach that is kind of up to them. Yeah, well that individualism is something that was very new, like introduced in Phyrexia All Will Be One, where they talk about Urbrask trying to, you know, complete people with honey rather than force and you know, them still having memories and control over their souls. And it's something that we're going to see in part six through 10 with a couple of different stupid characters. But, you know, it, it's definitely new. And it's definitely, it, I don't know, it doesn't feel right. Like, you're right that you would think the five main characters, with the exception of Urbrass, because he's always been the black sheep, but would be on the same page. Or Elish Norn would have enough control over them to be like, yes, master, right away. Right, right. And that's, and, and, you quickly find out that it's it's not like that at all. In fact, a lot of this just seems like most people are just like, yes, Mommy Norn, right to her face, and that's it. And then I do what I want. I'm a bad kid. Yeah. Next, Norn is like, all right, whatever, Shieldred, I'm done with you, and turns back to 
Kaya, Kaito, and Tyvar, who are still just there. She she had encapsulated them in like stone or something like that, or made Nahiri do it, but she knew, I mean, Kaya literally has phasing powers. She even mentions it. I know they're not going to stay long. And basically, like the, the the excerpt from the book literally says like, or not even a book, you know what I mean, <laughs> says uh, Elish Norn counts on them escaping. There must be a way to spread the gospel after all. And I'm like, <laughs> you literally just wrote in, there's no way they could possibly survive this, so I'm just going to let them go. Here's your plot armor. Yeah. Because my, you know, million strong army that's invading every plane known to man isn't, you know, quote unquote, spreading my gospel. Yeah, I have like six Phyrexian planeswalkers and myself standing right here. You guys have been beaten to a pulp at my feet, but I'm going to just let you go. See you later, guys. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Right after that, they talk about how Nisa is able to steal, steer Realm Breaker's attention, which the whole idea, I never even thought of the concept of Nisa controlling Realm Breaker and everything like that, but it is badass. And that is like the coolest part of the first chapter. It's just that like two sentences where they talk about her being able to do that and how she starts to actually move the branches and like decide which portal goes to where. Yeah, I remember when they spoiled that Ren was going to be a big part of this story. And, you know, a lot of the talk on the internet on Reddit was that Nissa and Ren are going to have, you know, giant tree battles between the World Tree and Realm Breaker. And it's going to be, you know, Lord of the Rings style tree on tree violence. And like, I was super stoked. And like, just this fact that they're like, these trees are like, I don't know, giant robots for them, you know, a la Pacific Rim or something was a sweet idea. It is. It's not quite that sweet, but it is similar uh, yeah. in Chapter 5. We will actually get to talk about that a little bit. One day our little acorn will be piloting a tree to fight another tree. <laughs> yes. Nobody likes Luca. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. Literally the first sentence out of his mouth, Elish Norn is like, you're a fucking idiot, you're going to die. Okay, mission complete. Watsi nailed the story. Good job, everybody. We'll see you next week for the next episode. Just kidding. But I am happy that Luca is not appreciated. He's so a son of a bitch. basically, she goes through and she asks the Phyrexianized planeswalkers. She goes, "Hey, you know, this is your home, or or where is your home? What should your goal be at getting your home?" Right? And Luca's like, "Big monster, big monster, help!" <laughs> and he like planeswalks out, and it's like the the first line out of her mouth. He will most certainly die on Ikoria. <laughs> A bullheaded man often makes hasty decisions. See you later, Luca. Yeah. Just like we got plot armor for the good guy planeswalkers, we got your plot death. Yeah. Or Again. or no, it's it's Elish Norn kind of sneers at him and just sends him on his way. And then Tamio says that, which is even funnier because Elish Norn is like thinking in her head, what an idiot. And then Tamio immediately also fires shots at him. Yeah. Good old Tamio. Always reliable for something. Yeah, Tamio, Tamio, whatever. A Johnny no Why I want to talk about that? What? Sorry. I guess it's probably a little bit of foreshadowing about who makes it and who doesn't. But I know, so spoiler alert, you know, skip forward 30 seconds if you don't want to hear this. We're going to talk about some deaths here. But Luca and Tamio are the only two planeswalkers to, you know, quote unquote, die. Right? So far, um, so t- Luca hasn't died yet where I'm at. Um, right. Just because we haven't gotten to the Ikoria, I'll say spotlight chapter yeah but yeah this is like definitely like 
somewhere closer to chapter nine where we find out, you know, all these deaths. But you know, well, Tommy was dead, dead by chapter five. Oh, is she? Yeah. Okay. So this interaction is interesting though. Like, oh yeah, for sure Luca's gonna fucking die. Like, what an idiot. And it's Tamio commenting on this, and she also dies. So like, fuck both these guys in, in the end, I guess. Which is crazy because Norn actually talks about Tamio being like her favorite creation and her having the most faith in Tamio. And Tamio is the first to die. Well, rip. Um, Ajani's is kind of weird. So Norn basically asks Ajani to show her Theros instead of where he was born or to go to Theros, which, fun fact, I didn't know this. I had to look it up. Ajani is born on Alara. It's kind of cryptid. So at first, they allude at Ajani's like, you wanted to go to Theros because of the gods. You put me in charge of the gods. But Tamio says some note about it, like, oh, this isn't actually what you wanted. You're sending me on this secret mission to gain something just as you sent him. And she was like very observant, but then it never mentions that again. So I have no idea what Johnny's supposed to be doing on Theros. Maybe it's just because Theros is lacking a white planeswalker and a Johnny kind of fills that role. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. She also says, Theros is among the first wave of targets, which is interesting to me because that would mean the first wave of targets are Theros, Zendikar, Ikoria, and Kamigawa, which just seemed like a, a weird choice. Yeah, you would think that she would want to make a beeline for Kaldheim and regain control of the World Tree because that seems like, you know, a comparable power to what Realmbreaker is doing. Well, and they definitely do, and, and Kaldheim comes up pretty quickly in the story, but it's just... She first sends, she's, we skipped over this because it's very short and it's, it's obvious it, it's not that important, but she sends Nahiri to Zendikar because that's where, where Nahiri's from. She sends Luka to Ikoria, um, Tamio to Kamigawa, and Ajani to Theros. And that's like the four starts of it. Now, that doesn't mean that she doesn't also like pretty quickly, oh, and I guess Nuka Pena as well because she sends Atraxa to Nuka Pena. Yeah. And that doesn't, I, well, and she, it's, it's, it is really cool because she, she literally sends a tracks at a Nuka Pena because she thinks that her angel ancestry will help her against the halo. Yeah. Give her kind of a one up. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, just say that whole idea collapses on her head. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't go against the demon gangsters. Yeah. That's weird. Um, Spray paint guns. But it, yeah, but, it's just, it's just weird that those, and then, and then they, they say that, but it's it's weird because it's it doesn't even feel like all that true, right? It's just based on like where we see it in the story, it seems like everywhere's kind of getting invaded all at once rather than yeah. there being like a first wave of targets. Yeah, I guess this is just like a first wave of where she's sending like her upper echelons maybe. Yeah, like, like her generals. Walkers. Yeah, like everywhere is probably getting fucked over right now by just swarms of lesser Phyrexians, but you know, we're focusing our, you know, quote unquote, important assets on these certain realms. So I see you talk about Elish Norn wanting Theros gods and the belief is what gives gods their powers. And, you know, you're kind of questioning, you know, why would Phyrexian praise make the gods Phyrexian? Yeah. Listen, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, I, I think it, it kind of does because the gods are embodiments of what their worshipers are. So... We, we see it with Heliod. They, you know, they obviously worship the sun and very specific virtues that are very white. We see it with 
And, and I suppose it makes more sense if there still is some kind of individuality, because we've also seen in the past where gods maybe not cease to exist, but become much less powerful on Theros with less believers. Right. And there's demigods and stuff like that, that are all over Theros. And well, I, I, just, I just think, you know, it's not necessarily that the Phyrexians are going on the Theros and be like, Hey, by the way, we worship Heliod. Let's make him our bitch. I think it's that as they're completing worshipers of Heliod, they, you know, retain that part of their memory or soul or whatever that still worships Heliod. But now they're a Phyrexian. And since he's the embodiment of what his worshipers are, he also becomes Phyrexian. It's just weird to me to think of them still having any part of them that worships him. Right. Because that's like the traditional Phyrexian belief. But they definitely, like we started out this episode, kind of turned that on its head. Another interesting scene. I don't know. Do, do they cover him dying? Spoiler alert. Um, this the, They don't get to Theros in the first five chapters, other than a Johnny okay. just going there. I'll save this for next week then. Okay. Because there's another cool theory that's floating around out there, but we'll, we'll put that, you know, kind of in our notes for next week. All right. So that's, that's pretty much chapter one. Chapter one is just Norn standing there. She lets the three of them escape. And she sends her generals off. Everyone minus Nyssa, obviously, because she's dancing with Realmbreaker. Dance, dance, baby. So we go to chapter two, and we see Chandra for the first time in a while. <laughs> and this also starts the single sentence. Chandra hates waiting. It's so bad. <laughs> that's, that's Chandra's entire character right there summarized for everyone. Good job. Uh, also... They skim right over Liliana. They're like, yep, Liliana's back. Everything's fine. They're all hiding in one of her cabins in Dominaria. Liliana's back on Dominaria? Liliana's with them on Dominaria. And everyone's hunky-dory. Strixhaven is like a huge part of one of these stories. So, like, so Liliana does say that she's returning to Strixhaven. And she blips out. But let me, let me get there. That's towards the end of chapter two. Basically, okay. yeah, they're all hunky-dory. Liliana, Chandra, Ren, and Vivian are all chilling in a cabin waiting to hear what happened. Just that Dominaria cabin sitting on standby. I'm glad we bought this property before prices went up. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. They're just in Liliana's, neighbors. in Liliana's vacation home. Also, they go into Ren a little bit, and I didn't realize how fucking cool Ren was. I, I know like almost nothing about Ren other than they are a dryad and are pretty old. So they're a dryad that has to bond with a, a tree to survive. They give kind of a, like it's common for dryads to bond with trees, but hers specifically have to be tree folk. They can't just be a tree. And that's because she was basically in the middle of a forest fire where her entire family died when her spark ignited. And she, in an attempt to save her family, like engulfed the forest fire into herself. That's why she's always glowing red. Oh, weird. And so she's like constantly burning alive, basically, and regrowing. And so that's why she can't just bond with a normal tree. It has to be like, it has to be a specific tree folk, and she has to be able to hear their song, is what it says. Oh, interesting. So that probably explains why she always has, well, the couple of times when we've seen her, she's had different trees. Right, right, and and that it can it unintentionally burn the tree folk alive. Oh, interesting! Like rip, run in six, I guess, and seven now. Yeah, there's. How'd they get her? 
Okay, I guess you might talk about this, but how did they get her from seven to Realmbreaker? We will talk about that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, just straight up though. Okay, so so basically like Ren and Chandra are doing a thing. There's some quips about Chandra trying to be like, here's how you control the fire. And Ren's like, I don't have any lungs. I can't just breathe. That <laughs> there's straight up a paragraph about that. But basically they show up, Kaya, Kaito, and Tyvar, and they're like, Hey guys, it's not fucking great. And Liliana's like, All right, I've heard enough. I'm going back to school. Strixhaven needs me. And she doesn't immediately leave. She does stay for a second. But like I said, like I, I literally put right after that, like it really feels like the multiverse is left with a bunch of teenagers. No one no one from the Gatewatch has learned anything. Meanwhile, our boy is still making walls on Ravnica with his boyfriend. You mean Teo? Yeah, who else? You get, you get one sentence. Teo gets a whole sentence in the story. He does show up oh, in it, though. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, I feel better now. Chandra is like, going to New Phyrexia is the right thing to do. I'm going to go by myself if I have to. Because that totally didn't end up devastating for our previous like six people we sent. And that's exactly what they said. They were like, yo, we couldn't do this with an entire team, a whole planned out thing. Like, what makes you think you can do it alone? You know, trying to get like them to support him. Obviously, Tyvar, Kaito, and uh, Kaya are like exhausted and suffering from whatever Phyrexian PTSD is. You know, it's nobody wants to go. They're all trying to convince her not. And then she storms off and is like... Well, actually, she pisses off Liliana first, and then Liliana storms off and goes, all right, I'm going back to Strixhaven, and blips out. And then Chandra goes and cries under a tree. Typical. And Ren shows up, and now Ren showing up makes sense a little bit. But Ren basically shows up, and Ren is like, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to help you. And not only that, I know where Teferi is. Yeah, and that's related to being able to hear his spirit song or soul song whatever it is too right she doesn't say that though she literally she's so mysterious about it she's literally like i know where he is and she's like chandra's like are you sure will teferi help us is that possible and she goes i know where he is he will be there and then i'm not gonna give that bitch a choice yeah but she does admit that she can hear realm breaker's song which she said because Tyvar mentions this thing is not alive. It's not like my world tree. And she goes, he's wrong. It is alive. I can hear its song. I can hear how much pain it is in. And because of that, she knows she can bond with Realmbreaker. Boom. Chapter two done. Chapter two done. <laughs> how does chapter three start? We get a one-liner? It does. It does. And it's not, it, there is a story. That is the sentence. Solid. Like, Get Disney on the phone. We got a new series. I swear to God, dude. I was like, literally, I was, I almost fell out of my seat. I was laughing so hard. I was like hysterically angry at this point. Um, Thank you for telling me why I'm here. But Teo's back for a whole ass sentence. And it's not even just Teo. They also squeeze Raul Zarek into that same sentence. Best chapter ever. It is. I'm not even going to lie to you. It 100%. I think it's going to be the best chapter of the entire story. That's sad because I'm looking at your notes and it's also like the shortest chapter in your notes. <laughs> and I think it's because I was so into it, so on the edge of my seat and had so little bad to say about it. Oh, that's good. Also, they, they yeah, this, this sentence here. So, so they immediately talk about basically Ravnica's fine. So while Ravnica is having trouble, Kaya ends up going with Kaido to Kamigawa because there are so many fucking planeswalkers on Ravnica that they're like, 
we got this. Like, are they still just all trapped there for more of the spark? I, I don't know, but they basically, they mentioned Teo and Rao Zarek specifically, and then basically a quip about how, I think because Ravnik has always been a hub, they're like, there's just so many planeswalkers here. Yeah, and they, they always had kind of had their old thing going with the guild watch and everything. So they got a big-ass dragon, stuff like that. Right, right. Who is now the, the living gate, uh, gate pack? Guild, guild pack? pack? Yeah. Yeah. They also, they, they mentioned this, this line about she's the one who must pull the gate watch together, talking about Kaya. And so I'm like, is Kaya the leader of the gate watch now? Just like, did it? She is a white planeswalker. Did it default over to her? Because I mean, Jace was the one before her. Yeah, it's always been Gideon. I mean, Jace Gideon's is just been like the idea, man. Gideon's been dead for a while. I mean, War of the Spark. Like, it's not that long. <laughs> and let's I, face it, fucking Karn was in there for a bit too. Is like arguably one of the leaders. True. I guess it is kind of strange that Gideon's probably the only for sure been the leader. Uh, yeah, everyone else because, is just in and out. Yeah, he's yeah. just the poster child. And I'm guessing there's nothing stopping her from being the uh, guild master of the Orshoff Syndicate and uh, the temporary leader of the Gatewatch. But great. Oh yeah, that's so. As you get into this one, chapter three gets us into Kamigawa. Right, it gets us into like like Realm Breaker, the portals ripping through. This is the first like actual invasion of a plane, and it is fucking cool. It is brutal. It is. They really make you think in all will be one when they're explaining Realm Breaker that these portals just open. But when they start to explain it from the other plane side, Realm Breaker's branches actually rip through the planes and like latch onto the plane itself. Yeah, that's pretty metal. We see it, it in a bunch of different card arts, but yeah, it's it's cool to get that visualization. And they do. They have some of the art in the story as well. It's. But it's it's the first time like I actually like sat down, looked at the art, but they also explain it out in the like story and stuff like that. And it yeah. is it is so brutal. It is so badass. Right out the gate, though, they do some like little like like Kaya saving a kid, and oh, it's sad. Tamio flies up in the sky and she starts reciting a spell that almost immediately rips Besaju in half, and it starts to waterfall glistening oil down onto the city. That's pretty metal too. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, like the the whole chapter, and then the chapter gets really fucking sad really quickly. I didn't know Tamio has a kid from a one night stand. I I don't know. She has a kid, and he shows up. His name's Nashi. He shows up, and it's just like, like he, you could tell he's young. He's gonna be like twelve or something like that, and he like shows up in like this armor with a weapon that doesn't fit him because he wants to get close enough to his mom to like make her realize that, you know, Hey, I'm here. This isn't you. Blah, 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 blah. And like Kaido is like, I don't know what to do. And so here, here, here first folks, Tamio is just your typical bar hoe with a one night stand kid who is coming to collect child support 12 years later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but Kaido is like, I don't know what to do. So he's like, maybe it's not the dad, right? No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, Kaido's like, maybe I do help this kid see her. Maybe it will be something. Cause none of I like, I get it. None of these, they, they don't know what the effect of this is. They haven't really, any of them lost anyone super close until now. So obviously they still have all this hope. So, you know, what does Kaido do? Takes a 12 year old and puts him smack dab in like the most dangerous situation possible. 
this is like some some super crappy rory midday talk show shit going on yeah but uh, basically like they climb up Baseju and stand among one of its branches to call out to tamio and so the fight is like above the sea like above the neon city on the branches of Baseju. now she's being torn apart right Nashi tries to talk to her. She, like, you can see, like, the spark. They keep hinting at there's, like, a spark of something within Tamio. And then she, like, cackles. Like, first of all, her whole head turns around, which is terrifying. And then her body turns to match it. Um, so she's just an owl. Yeah. But uh, basically, she, like, starts to cackle. And, like, Kaido has to pull Nashi back. And then her and Kaido fight, which her and Kaido, Kaido fight. And it is a great fight. It's like the edge of your seat fighting. And then it goes down to that. Like she's basically holding him over the city, like about to drop him thing. And he like cuts her arm and takes his chances plummeting. And then finally the emperor shows up with Kaya and they catch him. Um, Typical. And then it's, it's kind of interesting. The fight with Kaido and Tamiya was a little bit longer, a little more intense, a little more dramatic. The fight between her and the emperors is fairly quick. Was the emperor just like cut her in half instantly and then immediately teleport away to not be relevant anymore? <laughs> not, not quite, but I am pretty close to that. And then basically they do the whole like mind thing where it's like basically right at the end of the fight. Um, so, and here's why. So right at the end of the fight, Tamio actually pulls out a scroll and recites the scroll and his, cut down while she's reciting the scroll basically and then um, ember cool comes out of the moon oh god but basically it's you know how they they were talking about like the memory version of her like the not quite spirit version yeah this weird like in between it it, it was cameo. a spell that she created that she basically imbued herself into so as her last like thing she knew that she couldn't win the fight, so she cast the spell instead of defending herself, which is how she lost the fight, but it allowed her to basically apologize to like her son and all of them, and, and uh, the Emperor basically says, because they're like, because Kaido's like, that ain't no ghost, you know? And Kaido's like, yeah, this seems like a Phyrexian trick. This ain't gonna happen. And the Emperor's like, it's not. The Emperor's like, she she had these shards that I guess she was throwing from her scroll pouch. She was like, not a single one of those shards hit any of us. She's like, you don't find that even the slight bit uh, suspicious. She's you, like, know, you know what we call this? This is fucking heresy. We need to call the Knights of Titan to come in and purge with flamers and melters. What I just, what I don't understand is like I said, like this, it's, it's a great chapter. It's impactful, the story. The fight scenes are cool. It shows, like, grief and loss, which is something I think that, like, on a small scale hasn't been played with. Like, obviously, we had, like, the loss of Gideon, which was, like, supposed to be a big thing. But, like, on a small scale between, like, a popular character and their child, you know? Yeah, makes it weird. Like, they just squeeze every emotion from five chapters into one. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was really good. The weirdest thing, though, is... The more I read, the less that I think the Phyrexian disease is the Phyrexian disease. Oh. Because, like, now we clearly know it does not take hold of the mind entirely. In fact, it doesn't even control the mind entirely because Tamio still had enough effect to pull her punches, 
to cast that scroll at the end of the fight. It's just so strange. Like the glistening oil from new Phyrexia isn't the same as the glistening oil from Phyrexia. And that's what I'm curious about is that maybe there's something wrong, you know, like this passed on through like Karn accidentally into Memnarch or whatever. Like maybe, maybe there's something wrong with it. Maybe this isn't quite the Phyresis that we knew or the Phyrexia we knew previously. And maybe that's what it is, but it just, it seems, it all seems very different, very strange. And it's some pussy ass boomer zoomer glistening oil shit. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> it's uh, some uh some knockoff uh wish.com glistening oil. Yeah, they couldn't afford the real Yogmoth shit, so they just bought whatever they could from China. Yeah, it, it's weird and I'm almost wondering if I mean, now it kind of makes more sense with what happens with curing planeswalkers later, but we won't get into that next week. Next week. Um, okay, chapter four, chapter three, all sad, depressing. Chapter four is where they're like, yeah, fighting is fucking cool. We're just going to do a whole chapter full of fighting. Every plane we can shove into the same motherfucking chapter. And they start with the best one. They start with Kaldheim. And it's right out the gate. Just badass Viking war shit. It is like Tyvar lands down. His brother's there. Tyvar picks up a big old boulder, slams down some... Phyrexians, a doom scar opens up in the middle of the ground. These omen kills rip out of it. Like the entire area floods, washing away the Phyrexians. They pull the elves onto it. They're like, there's at one point where Tyvar looks around and there's dwarves, humans, elves, undead, fire giants, and trolls all fighting together. War drums are going off in the background. They rip out like through the world tree and they like going through the different like planes of Kaldheim, which are just planes of Kaldheim. They're not, the world tree does not work like realm breaker. <laughs> oh, they confirm that uh, in the story. That's, that's the way it was. It made it seem. Okay. And then all of a sudden the omen kills are flying and there's like Valkyries flying besides them. And then out of nowhere rips out of the sky is a Phyrexianized coma, the world serpent. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's so fucking cool. I thought that was the whole chapter. Like, that's how into it I was. I didn't realize that they also squeezed two other plane invasions into the same chapter. So what's the next one? So the next one is Kaladesh. Kaladesh is super interesting. So it focuses on Sahili Ray and Pia Nalar. Kaladesh is by far the most prepared plane for the invasion. There's almost nobody in Giripur when the invasion starts. They have weapons staged, sh- battleships at the ready. Like, Sahili has an army of mechanical animals, like, at, like, patrolling the city. It is, it doesn't really go that well, but they are the most prepared for the invasion, which I think is, is interesting and neat and cool. And it really shows like how intelligent uh, Sahili and Pia Nalar are. Well, I guess it explains what happened to Sahili because in Brothers War, she helps the fairy go back in time to the time of the Brothers War, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then essentially she drops off the face of the story. So I guess it explains where she went and she was, what she was doing because she obviously realized this shit was real. And, you know, getting back to Kaladesh, if they lose the Aetherflux Reservoir, that's huge. Like, just imagine shooting someone in a game of Magic for 50, and then put that in, like, real-world lore perspective. Like, Phyrexians would have fucked. 
Well, and that's, so that's where, what you see right out the get go. The Phyrexians are immediately drawn to the Aether. So as soon as the invasion of Girapur starts, the Phyrexians beeline it for the Aether Flux Reservoir. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, what does that mean? Are we talking super powered Phyrexians here? Like Phyrexians on crack? Yeah, just meth heads that have an infinite supply. Yeah, and, and so that's, and that's pretty much it. it they don't spend a whole lot of time on Kaladesh. It has some cool, like, basically, like, Pia kind of running. Pia's ship almost goes down that she's on. Um, she basically, she's with Sahili. She jumps onto another ship. Literally the second she jumps onto the other ship, the pilot gets speared through the chest. And so Pia's ship is kind of going on. Sahili, like, went off to head towards the reservoir. So we're not really sure what went there. Right after that, they bring us back to, or not back to, but they bring us to uh, New Capenna. Yeah, all three of these planes are badass. They should all just have their own chapter. <laughs> so I know a little bit about the New Capenna. So essentially we go and we see kind of, it, it's, from what I understand, largely focused around like the Maestros and the Riveter crime syndicate families. So and the Maestros, we see a new crime boss because they lost. And so we don't actually see any of that in chapter four. What? There's yes. a whole another new Capenna chapter? I'm okay. guess I'm guessing they talk about it more later. But um basically they, they talk about the maestros. Atraxa shows up and she has like this kind of like she knew that something would get in her brain. Like Norn warned her that it would try to infect her. Cause basically like she's looking around and taking in all the sights and she keeps like thinking of how beautiful it would look and then starts like doing like this self deprecating thing where she's like like no, it's disgusting. Nothing could be beautiful. Nothing but the cleanness of Phyrexia is beautiful. And like keeps looking and looking. And then like basically her mission there is not to capture anyone, right? Like they're capturing people from the other planes to phyresis them, phyrexinize them. Uh, complete them, yeah. Complete them. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. <laughs> um, because Phyrexia has tried to invade New Capenna before and failed, Norn is like fucking wipe the plane out of existence. Just fuck it up. Yeah. And so but she, she's there getting high on her own supply. Pretty much. And it's and it's very interesting. And so there is this kind of like her like in her own head, like kind of going mad, and then finally like she shoots up the Maestro's Tower. The reason that the Maestros are such a focus in this chapter is because she basically lands on like this Maestro's Tower with like a museum nearby and there's these statues. They also do mention that the statues are kind of talking to themselves in the background, which I'm assuming are the angels. Yeah, that's some weird Doctor Who shit. From what I know about New Capenna, and they're not very specific about it, but I think we haven't gotten there yet, but I think it's foreshadowing to Sarah and uh, Elspeth because it's, it's, yeah. it's a lot of like these statues are talking to each other or... A, a voice behind the statue says, you know, now is not the time. The end has not arrived. We will know when oh, so it has arrived. I actually, I've heard some other things about this too, because this is going to happen on another plane as well, where there are shadows that talk. And some people, like, like you said, talking about like Sarah and Elspeth and, you know, the great expanse talking and stuff like that. But then there's also foreshadowing that, you know, these are some, visitors from you know a different unaffected plane that somehow can remain hidden stuff like that so i spoiler alert all 10 chapters it never tells you who these secret whispers are oh of course it doesn't 
Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So there's a lot of speculation out there that this is some like, you know, from the future, we got to remain hidden so we don't fuck up the past, but we need to learn or we need to see what they're doing, stuff like that. So, it, you know, it's building up to something, which seems badass. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it does build up to something. And then, you know, um, just forget about it and move on to the next villain arc. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. They never do that. So basically, I, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Um, the, the one note I had for chapter three and four is, is that we really start to see that Elishnorn is not a general, right? She's not this grand military leader. Elishnorn is at best a cult leader. She's great at leading the Phyrexians through some sort of unity, but also fear. So she's just their, their religious war, or not warrior, religious leader through and through, not so much the, the pious zealot warrior that she built her up to be. Exactly. Built herself up to be. And, and she keeps, I mean, she's, even in these first few chapters, it, it, it definitely seems like by sheer numbers, yes, the Phyrexians are winning, but she very quickly is, she's got generals revolting against her. She's got some of her top people dying because of them fighting the Phyresis in their head, basically. Like, it so she's winning the numbers war but she's losing the big battles internally that's what it kind of feels like yes yeah interesting okay chapter so five. what's the what's the one-liner for chapter five so chapter five doesn't actually have a one-liner thank god this is burn it down it's ruined <laughs> but like, we ren has established that ren speaks in what i call tree speak so she just says i am groot over and over again <laughs> No, the first line of chapter five, Ren says, come now, we mustn't take root. So it, she's just full of bad puns. It, but she's it, totally serious about it. And it's fucking hilarious because Ren is a very serious character. It's a little disheartening. It, yes. Koth finally shows up in chapter five. Hallelujah, our boy's back. Yeah. This is also the first time that we really come back to new Phyrexia other than Elish Norn doing her stuff in the basement. Um, so it kind of makes sense that we haven't seen him yet. They do mention him as the fourth survivor early on when Chandra's talking to the three that made it there. Um, that conveniently escape. They, they don't actually ever say that he is the first survivor. That's just what I'm guessing they meant, that four planeswalkers survived so weird yeah just move him off screen he wasn't actually ever there forget that part of the story yeah ren is super mysterious basically they show up chandra and red show up and cough is like who the fuck are you oh hey oh hey girl yeah he's like he's like oh i thank god they that we have backup but i wish there was more than just two of you um i also don't really trust you because at least with the previous one elspeth was a bridge between cough and the rest of them Mm-hmm. This one's cost like I don't know who the fuck you two are. Yeah, for all I know, you're Phyrexian sleeper agents. Yeah, because like, that's a thing now. But basically, Koth and Malira are like, well, so they they know that it's probably not sure because Urbrask is with them at this point. Huh. So so you don't know that when this conversation is going on, by the way. But basically, they do their introductions, and then Ren is super mysterious, and they talk about this plan. And Ren is basically like, 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 don't worry, Teferi will be here. And Koth is like, what? And she's like, God damn it, Teferi's going to be here. Just trust me. 
I know where Zalfir is. I've known it all along. I've just been leaving them in hiding for no important reason. I have no idea. I don't know why that is, but basically they're just like, hey, stop fucking questioning me. Teferi will get here when Teferi gets here. Typical. So then basically like Koth is like, okay, well, here's the situation. We got Urbrask here. Urbrask is kind of fucking weird and is definitely not on our side because he still wants to turn people to Phyrexians, but he's not on Elish Norn's side. Yeah. But basically we have like, like we need to get Ren to Realmbreaker and we've got a clear shot, but Koth is like, this is the plan. Koth's like, Urbrask knows where the patrols are. So the Mirans are going to cause a diversion with Urbrask and I'm going to throw you guys to Realmbreaker. Makes sense. He does lithomancy things. He big muscular rocky dude. Yeah. So he he basically and so that's basically what happens. Although base but he tells him that plan and Chandra goes, I don't want to trust this Phyrexian weirdo or something like that. Literally uses the term weirdo, which Chandra calling Urbrask a weirdo really pulled me out of the story. Yeah, it just highlights that this entire thing are just a bunch of preteen weirdo wizard people running through the story and that i guess written by someone also who seems like a preteen yeah it's very strange very interesting like weirdo i i understand this story's you know magic's a game for 13 plus like obviously there's going to be some immature minds reading this but there are so many synonyms for weirdo that make the story more engaging and sound more mature without actually being like blatantly explicit that they could have used yeah, I, I I don't know. I have no idea. It's it's such a weird use. I I don't know why that's what you would land on. But basically, I'm, so they I'm do using this... weirdo from now on for everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. They so they basically go through this plan. Obviously, as soon as they're airborne, they're attacked by like flying Phyrexians, and so they fly in blind. They hit this tree. Like it's not good. They like fly like a freaking football field you know, or more like they, it doesn't feel good. Um, and then it's very clearly an ambush. And of course it's none other than Nissa. So Chandra immediately breaks down. Right? Is Koth the secret sleeper agent in reality? Well, Koth wasn't there because Koth just threw Chandra okay. and Ren. He, he just yeeted everybody into a oh, straight ambush. Okay. I mean, that is true. Um, yeah. Like, here you go. Oh, fuck you guys. <laughs> and then basically Chandra freezes. She gets pinned to the tree by like, spears or quills or whatever she also gets stabbed through the leg which there's multiple people that have gotten cut up or hurt Kaido's one of them throughout this story and so uh the way glistening oil worked in all will be one is just not how it works in march of the machines right the here he literally got like a paper cut and was completed 100 percent. but no Kaido's gotten cut he's totally fine chandra gets stabbed in the leg as far as we're aware i guess the story's not over yet but I'm pretty Spoiler sure. Spoiler alert, she's totally fine. Yeah. I I, I know she's totally fine. It's just, yeah, it's super, super weird, super interesting. But basically, so she's pinned to a tree, and then Nyssa turns around and rips Seven literally limb from limb. Yeah. It's tree. fucking badass. Just carves Seven up, slowly making her way to Ren until she can rip Ren out of the rest of the tree like the fucking leftover husk. I love trees, but fuck this tree in particular. Yeah, it, it, it's super badass. It's a badass fight. And then finally, Chandra kind of snaps to and 
Actually, I think she, she realizes that she doesn't actually need to move to cast fire spells. She no. can just start heating fire, being pinned to a tree. I think, I think Nissa assumes Ren is dead, throws her to the ground. This is what happens. I'm trying to remember, and then basically walks over and rips the spears out of Chandra and like offers her the chance to join them. Oh, weird. And like. Uh, actually tries to do some of the like with honey stuff like does the like she turns back into Chandra's face and voice and is like I miss you and you mean Nissa's? Nissa's yeah that's what I meant I love you we can rewrite the magic story together don't yeah. worry and then there's some like conflicts some back and forth arguing like oh Ren is still alive crawling over and Nissa's like I'm gonna kill you and then finally like Chandra's like, like, I miss you too, but I can't do this. And like explodes basically. And basically Ren is the only one close enough to realm breaker and latches on to realm breaker while Nissa, Chandra and the rest of the Phyrexians in the area plummet into a chasm down below. And that's how chapter five ends. That's pretty epic. I'll take ending on a fight scene. It, it, I am kind of relieved. So you're talking about Urabras being part of this team and somehow he knows where all the Phyrexian patrols are. Like, bitch, please. Doesn't Elish Norn and like, you know, R.I.P. Shouldred and all of them know that Urabras has always been a pain in their ass and never really on their side and doing his own thing? Like, why would they ever give him access to that information? So yeah. it makes me feel better that they got yeeted into an ambush and, and like, lo and behold, Urabras actually didn't know about that information. <laughs> Yeah, right. They gave him false information knowing what he would do with it. Yeah. Like, thank God, like, they filled that shit because it's like a glaring hole. Like, oh, hey, fucking asshole that fucks every plan we ever had up. This just gives you this perfect information. But yeah, thank God. Yeah. I think, I definitely think throughout the whole thing, though, chapters three and four were the best just because that was what we wanted, right? That was multiversal war. That was it, the, the different, very unique people on each plane that was showcased fighting against the fire scenes. And I'm excited. I'm hoping there's more of that to come. I'm sure there is. Yeah. Ugh. And you mentioned it in your notes for chapter, uh, actually no, it was chapter four where we got what we wanted. We saw, you know, these planar wars, we saw the invasions, we see realm breaker crashing through and rooting the plane down and these epic battles between our favorite characters. But they gave us three of those planes in one chapter. Like the story is already 10 chapters long. Like would it have really hurt to give it a couple more chapters? So these significant planes that have been huge in magic's recent history sets, like just their own chapter, make it shorter even. But it's weird. It's almost like if they just wrote a fucking book, (laughs) weird, do what you did five years ago and write fucking books. (laughs) Like you're already paying the author. What's the difference between fucking doing this and just publishing something? I bet you they make more money. It'd make a great fucking book. It would be right, like they'd be able to charge for it flat out. It's it's incredible. I mean, it's it's a great story. It's something that's been built up longer than I would even say. Well, maybe not technically not longer than Nicobolus, but at least that part of Nicobolus's life that we were building up to. Because this really feels like you know the old Phyrexian invasion that was involved at least part or the new Phyrexian invasion that was at least involved in part by like Venser and stuff like this. Like this has been building up for, for over a decade. 
Right. And even even just in the immediate past, there's been seven sets, including All Will Be One, that has had some kind of Phyrexian influence. We we see the first one in Kaldheim where we get Vorinclex and stuff, and we see these planar incursions by Phyrexians, and they've been building it up over the past like three and a half years. And and we have our largest block ever with a four block, four and a half, I'll say if you count whoa. aftermath. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Blocks aren't real, Kyle. Oh, sorry, sorry. Blocks don't exist. Ignore everything. Just like I just MSRP. Said. They don't exist. We're going to ignore that. Kyle was never here. Oh, God. We're going to get canceled now. <laughs> it's way too late for that. Anyways, so that was chapters one through five. Kyle, do you have anything else to kind of end on in summary for those? I, I just think, I think before I, I'm too harsh about it, I think I, I need to go back, take a look at six through 10, then we can talk about that. And then, you know, if it's bad after that, we can just rip it apart. Yeah. And I, I definitely think more so than covering some of the short stories, we're going to be able to have a, a full episode where we just tear into this. Cause there's going to be a, a bunch of different theories that I know I want to cover. I already kind of said, we're postponing one the next week. It, flat out blurted out another one earlier but you know it's definitely there's going to be a lot to cover outside of just our initial thoughts and opinions of these story chapters but anyways want to finish here with a little bit of housekeeping like always first off right off the bat talk a little bit about how we got our podcast off the ground and how you could do the same anyways like always guys make sure to hit our socials facebook twitter instagram at casual tutors our discord is popping off we're getting new members every week we're you know in the midst of spoiler season for march of the machines there's some super spicy ones that i just posted in our spoiler channel today so be sure to jump in there check it out join the conversation we love talking with you guys in discord except the fact that kyle doesn't ever get on it it's the best way to talk to us and we love it so much and you know as always you know stay tuned next week for the final five chapters of the march of machine story our hot takes hopefully i satisfied some of your cravings for saying stupid things because there's plenty more to come trust me anyways i'm matt and i'm kyle and we're the casual tutors thanks for listening